0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling. Wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands.
1: Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I do all of this full-time, and every dollar you give helps keep all of it going. From the beginning of June until the end of August, I will be taking a cross-Canada history tour. I'm going to be visiting various rural historical attractions, all of the graves of the Prime Ministers, except for R.B. Bennett because he is buried in England, and I'm going to be going from coast to coast to coast, the Atlantic, the Pacific, and the Arctic, over the course of the 90 days. This is going to be a bare-bones trip for me, sleeping in tents and just enjoying the history and nature of Canada. If you'd like, you can help support this trip by going to my GoFundMe page. I'll put the link in my show notes. Today I'm looking at the history of Strathmore, Alberta. The community right near Calgary, has a really great history with a lot of cool stories to tell. So, let's get right to it. And as usual, I won't be going through a chronological look, But rather looking at various aspects of the history. Indigenous History Through the area of Strathmore, the Blackfoot and Cree would follow the bison herds that once dominated the area of southern Alberta. Of course, those bison herds were nearly wiped out by the hunting of Canadian and American settlers, which would greatly alter the life of the indigenous that once called the area home. Called the Children of the Plains, the Blackfoot roamed in the area that stretched up to Edmonton, to the Manitoba border, and into the United States before the arrival of settlers. At the time, the Blackfoot, or Siksika, were made up of 36 clans, totaling 18,000 people who grouped themselves into three major tribes to form the Blackfoot Confederacy. In the area of Strathmore, the tribe was the Middle Blackfoot. In 1877, Treaty 7 would be signed at Blackfoot Crossing to the southwest of Calgary. At the time of the signing, two notable Blackfoot leaders were in the area, Chief Crowfoot, who I did an episode on, and Chief Old Sun. By 1883, the number of Blackfoot clans had dropped down to only 19. Today, the Siksika First Nation has a reserve just southeast of Strathmore, with a population of 6,869 people, half of which live on the reserve. The founding of the community. Strathmore owes its existence to the railroad, which reached the area on July 28, 1883 during the quest to create a transcontinental railway from the east to the west of Canada. The town was named by the CPR who chose to honour Claude Bowes Lyon, the Earl of Strathmore. One interesting note is that the granddaughter of the Earl, Queen Elizabeth, the consort to King George VI, passed through the community on the Royal Train in May of 1939. In the laying of the track, a record was set by the Canadian Pacific Railway when it was able to lay down 10 kilometres of track, a record for one day by the company. Of course, it may be that Strathmore was named more for an area of Scotland, the Strathmore Valley, where the Earl resided. The name was provided by James Ross, a Scottish man who chose to honour Scottish names with choices. Hence, the choice of Strathmore. Thanks to the railroad, Strathmore would become an unloading point for thousands of settlers over the coming decades. In 1905, the Irrigation Colonization Company completed its irrigation works and it necessitated a move of the few buildings of Strathmore to four miles north, which gave the community the name The Town That Moved. Although, as we have seen in my looks at various town histories, it is somewhat of a common practice. Also at the time, There was little to be found in the community beyond the section house. But by August of 1905, five blocks had been surveyed and opened for sale by the CPR. The move would change Strathmore forever and turn it into a thriving community that it is today. In 1907, Strathmore would welcome a brand new train station built to accommodate the growing number of new residents arriving in the area. The year the town moved, the community would see lots being sold for high prices in town and around the area, and land was selling for $12 to $25 an acre, depending on its access to water. By 1911, the town had a population of 520, and on July 6, 1911, the hamlet officially became a town. The population would change little for the next few decades, though, rising only to 1,000 by the 1960s. In the 1970s, an oil boom hit the area, and it would see Strathmore explode in size. Before long, The community went from 1,000 people to 13,000 people and was an important stop along the highway towards Calgary. The railroad would survive in the community until 1981 when the last rail was removed from the community. As for the irrigation system that Strathmore owes its prosperity to, that was turned over to the users in 1944 and continues to run to this day. The Ice Storm of 1932 On April 20th, 1932, a storm came into the area that would leave quite the mark on the early community of Strathmore. It was on that day that the ice began to fall from the sky, coating all of Strathmore. There were reports of people skating through the streets as if it was a hockey rink. The storm began with heavy rain falling on the community, which froze quickly when the cold weather moved in. The ice formed over trees and power poles, causing them to break and fall over. The storm would cut off the CFCN radio transmitter from its power source, leaving the town without its local radio. For most people there was no electricity in homes anyways, so they did not really worry about the loss of power. But many trees in the yards of residents lost their branches if they didn't fall over completely. The community would enlist all available help to get the broken lines and poles erected again and repaired, and it would be weeks before power was restored completely to those who needed it in the area. The Strathmore Stampede One of the biggest events of the year for Strathmore is its stampede. The stampede actually dates back a century to 1921 when the first stampede was held on July 19th of that year, which was the opening day of the Great War Memorial Hall in the community. The next stampede would be held in 1922, and the 1923 stampede was one of the biggest of those early years. Around the same time a parade was added, and the stampede was becoming one of the biggest events. Participation from the nearby Blackfoot Nation Indigenous was also encouraged, which was rare for the time in stampedes and rodeos. The stampede would disappear for a time in the 1930s into the 1950s, but would eventually return in the 1960s. Since those early years, the stampede has grown to become one of the biggest in the area and a great event for people who love the rodeo. The next stampede is scheduled to be held on July 30th, 2021, running until August 2nd. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. i spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExplorNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. The 1924 Fire On July 10, 1924, it was a sunny summer day in Strathmore, and no one had any idea that destruction was coming to town. The Calgary Stampede was going on nearby in Calgary, and a function was planned for the two-story opera house in Strathmore. Nearby at the garage of Nels White, Alex Gray and his cousin Jack were working on plows, using both forges to heat the plow so they could be re-pointed with a hammer. Suddenly, the fire alarm began to ring in town, and Gray ran out of the garage to see that the Opera House was on fire. He quickly met with the other members of the fire brigade, and they took their two chemical wagons up to the building. Before long, the Opera House was engulfed in flames, and the fire was at real risk of spreading. There was a fire wall and a vacant lot to the east of the Opera House, so there was no danger of the fire spreading in that direction, but it did move to the east, and reached Lambert's Drugstore, and then two other buildings. With the two chemical wagons depleted, a bucket brigade began to prevent the fire from spreading. The Opera House was burning so hot by that point, no one could get close to it. The CPR was loading up its IHC truck with water from its irrigation system, so all the people in town could do was wait for its arrival. Before long, the fire had jumped to the butcher shop as well. And the Calgary Fire Department, with its pumper truck and 1,500 feet of hose and seven firemen, were also on their way, but it would take two hours to get there. At this point, the east end of Main Street was almost completely on fire. To protect themselves from the fire that was burning so hot near the Opera House, the firefighters put mattresses on their backs. They then began to use the water brought in from the irrigation system to fight the fire. The Calgary Fire Department arrived and the fire was brought under control. By midnight, Only embers were left on the street and the firefighters were exhausted. After the fire, council found a proper supply pump for the fire department, and in 1925, work began to build fire-resistant brick buildings with concrete foundations. The Demonstration Farm In 1908, the Canadian Pacific Railway made the decision to create a 2,000-acre demonstration farm located on the east side of the railroad tracks immediately west of the Irrigation District Headquarters. Before long, this property would have large dairy barns, horse barns, silos, a creamery and greenhouses. In order to provide a better water supply, a dam was built as part of the growing irrigation effort for the entire area. The farm would test various crops to see how they grew in southern Alberta, helping to improve the overall agricultural industry of the province. Crops such as strawberries, potatoes, and assorted vegetables were grown, and on top of that, herds of cattle were raised and began to take to the land quickly. By 1915, an entire registered herd of Holstein cattle had been acquired, and poultry sheds were soon added to the demonstration farm. By 1927, the demonstration farm had the largest registered Holstein herd in Canada with over 600 females. During the summer, 12 to 15 acres of hand-selected grain was grown on the farm, and these plots were carefully monitored to see how the crops grew and what varieties would work best for settlers. One of the first movies ever produced in Alberta was made on the farm in 1910 to promote an influx of immigrants to the area titled An Unselfish Love. The film promoted the farming and ranching opportunities in the area and was sponsored by the Canadian Pacific Irrigation Colonization Company the Strathmore walking tour a great way to learn about the history of a community is to take part in the walking tour and Strathmore has an excellent one that showcases the history from its early days to today beginning in 1907 you can see the spot where the railroad once stood and progressed through the emergence of the town the boom that saw a great deal of growth in the community to the sports that brought the town together and the communication system that connected it to the world. While many of the buildings are gone, some still remain, and you can discover their history through this excellent tour. A printable guide to the walking tour can be found on the town's website. Harrison Gray When I look at the history of a community, I enjoy seeing the people who came from it. In the case of Strathmore, there's Harrison Gray. Born in Calgary and raised in Strathcona, he would play in a variety of leagues including the EHL, CPHL and WHL. For a brief moment, he made a trip to the NHL as well. On November 28, 1963, he was called up by the Detroit Red Wings to play 40 minutes of a game against the Montreal Canadiens. In that game, he would lose 7-3. But he holds a place in hockey history. He is the last goalie to come in to replace a goaltender in this case Terry Sawchuk, as an emergency non-roster replacement from the stands. So, even though his time in the NHL did not last long, he still has a piece of NHL history. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at the history of Strathmore. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig You can also visit my website. You will find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And don't forget, you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names Randy McCallum, Diane Wade, Laurie Ann Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall. Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseath, Todd Casey, Catherine O'A, Luke S, J.P. Baer, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com/CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird. C-R-A-I-G, B-E-A-I-R-D. and you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37.